A couple weeks ago, uh, many of us were, were at the Gallagher um, for the gathering. And uh, one of the big things we talked about that morning was the importance of us having an eternal perspective. Do you remember that? Um, we can be tricked into believing that, that our short lives here on earth, the short time that we have here, is all that there is. And that's all that matters. We forget that God has created us for something more. God has created us to live forever. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Regardless of who you are, where you live, what you do, how old you are, you have been created with a longing for something more, something greater, something that lasts. We're in the middle of our Reframe series uh, where we're examining how God's Word can change our perspective, how it can reframe how we see things. For instance, adopting an eternal perspective is something that can change how we see things here and now. Viewing the here and now in the light of eternity gives us a different perspective. It can help us to understand why we have these deep longings and yearnings. And we have these yearnings and longings because God has set them in our heart. It's part of God's design for us. And there's something more that I've been coming to see. These yearnings and longings that the Bible talks about are actually a reflection of God. I believe that God's word invites us to come to know a God who yearns and longs to make himself known to us. As strong as our Longings and yearnings for, for meaning and significance are God's longing for us to know Him and connect with Him are deeper still. And they emanate from His unconditional, perfect love for His creation. Now here's something that I believe to be true. What we believe about the nature of God is key to our faith journey. And I can't emphasize that enough. What we believe about God will shape our faith journey. So, what do you believe about God? We all have stories about God. What are yours? Some may believe that God is an angry judge. If you are good, you will be blessed. If you sin, you will be punished. Many Christians hold this belief about God's nature today. Shortly after 9-11, two popular Christian televangelists proclaimed that God was punishing the United States and New York City specifically for its sinfulness. Apparently, God was fed up 
with gays, lesbians, strippers, gamblers, and drug dealers, so much that he inspired a group of non-Christians to fly planes into buildings for him. Some studies say that this is the most prevalent view of God's nature among Christians today. It's what most traditional Christians actually believe about God. One study showed that uh, 37% of Christians today believe that God is both judgmental and highly engaged in human affairs. In other words, God is watching us closely and He is eager to punish us even for minor infractions. And you know, this isn't anything new. In the book of John, Jesus encounters a man who was born blind and, and is asked a question by his followers. Rabbi, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Somebody must have done something wrong that this man is blind. God punished this man because somebody sinned. So, who did it, Jesus? If God punishes bad people, then who's the bad person here? And how did Jesus respond? Was it the parents or was it the man himself that was being punished? And Jesus said, neither. Neither the man nor his parents' sins caused this. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus did something amazing. He healed the man. He didn't judge him. He didn't blame him. He didn't say that he deserved it. Instead, he healed him and so revealed the power and the love of God. So do you see what Jesus did there? He, he reframed for his disciples their views of God's nature. Was God an angry judge who kept score of wrongs, who was ready to punish sin and reward good behavior? Jesus said, no, that's not my father. There's so much about what the Bible says concerning God's nature. And we could spend a whole series talking about this. So this morning I just picked one thing that I think could help us reframe our relationship with God. Years ago, when our, when our kids were, were pretty little, we would sometimes play hide-and-seek. I was reminded of this when we were watching some old home movies the other night um, from when we lived in Michigan, and our kids were like five and two, and, and they loved to hide. But as soon as I'd call out, here I come, they would jump out from behind the couch and say, here I am. It's happened in your home too, right? You know, and we would try to explain to them, you've got to stay hidden until we actually find you, but it didn't work. And, and finally we figured out that our kids actually had a much better grasp of the true objective of the game. The joy is not in hiding, but in finding or in being found. Listen to what God says in Isaiah. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, Here I am. Here I am. All day long, 
I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. I imagine God standing there, just like our kids, with outstretched hands saying, Here I am. God says that there's joy in finding Him. And He experiences joy in being found. As far as I can tell, everywhere, God is jumping out from behind couches to show Himself to us. The other night, we were out at Lincoln Center visiting uh, Brad and Brooke Hillebrand, who are our new host couple out there. Um, And we went out eager to meet their new little guy, Mickey, uh, who was born a couple weeks ago. So Brad and my son Elliot and I, we were standing out in the middle of the road, um, just right out in front of the parsonage, their home. And, uh, and if you've never been out there, uh, Lincoln Center just sits out in the middle of the country. There's the, the church, the parsonage, and the cemetery. And the view across the road is Iowa. You know, it's beans and corn and rolling hills and farm places scattered across the horizon. And we stood there and, and we talked about sunrises and sunsets and we talked about full moons and, and lightning storms. It was beautiful that night. And that view, for me, is, it's like a canvas that stretches from horizon to horizon. And every day, God picks up a brush and paints something new and beautiful as if to say... Here I am. Again, from the book of Isaiah, this is what it says. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says... I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. Here's what I want you to remember about God's nature this morning. God wants us to know Him. His primary intent is not to punish or to judge, or to hide from us. His primary intent is to reveal Himself to us, not to hide. It is for Him to speak, not to be silent. God did not create us with this uh, longing to know Him and then, and then hide somewhere in the dark or make it impossible for us to find Him. God is a communicator. The Bible is story after story of God unfolding some part of His glory and His nature to His people. Oftentimes, He does it in very ordinary and familiar ways so limited minds like mine can grasp His truth. The Bible says that God is like a chicken or a gardener or a nursing mother. Or a rock. I suppose Athanasius, who was a 4th century believer, was right when he said, just because God cannot tell us what He is, He very often tells us what He is like. 
And God tells us stories that help us understand His nature. I've been thinking about a couple of those stories lately. One from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament that that challenge our view of God's nature. The story of the, the prodigal son in the New Testament book of Luke is a story of waste and purposelessness, jealousy, and love. And then the Old Testament story of Hosea and his wife Gomer is one of humiliation and reconciliation. One tells a story about a rebellious child and the other about an unfaithful spouse. A restless, angry son throws away a good life at home and he ends up eating with the pigs. A wife with insatiable lust strikes out on her own and finds herself eventually on the auction block. Both, in many ways, are common stories. But the uncommon part is that the heartbroken father and the wronged husband play God's part. To illustrate something of his nature, God commanded Hosea to marry a woman unworthy of him. Gomer was was unloving, ungrateful, and unfaithful. Hosea loved and provided for her. But she was hell-bent on looking elsewhere for love. Despite her, her unfaithfulness, her ingratitude, her promiscuity, God told Hosea, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. This is a story of a woman who is on a fast, slippery slope of self-destruction. A woman staggering in the muck and the mire of poor choices. Gomer is a shell of the woman that she could have been. And she is brought out of prostitution by a husband who loves her and takes her home again to be his wife. Neither Gomer nor the prodigal son could see how good they had it at home. It was some craving within them that drove them away. And that's the human condition. We are restless, unsatisfied, driven by some sense that life is going to be better on the other side of the fence. The high point of these stories is that just when I expect God to start lobbing some righteous hand grenades in, He runs instead to the Son and He embraces Him and He kills the best piece of His livestock to throw a huge celebration. And when I expect him to say, it serves you right, you deserve to fry in hell, he buys Gomer out of slavery and he makes her his bride again. And to be honest, I almost feel a little embarrassed for God. I I don't want to see God make a fool of himself over an unfaithful gomer or a delinquent son. I don't want to see him standing there with with red, swollen eyes or a lump in his throat. But then, 
he turns those same eyes, those blood-rimmed eyes, toward me. And he drapes a robe around my shoulders. And he slips a ring on my finger. And he welcomes me home. Have you ever had that happen to you? I know you have. Have you ever felt that that deep, undeserved grace and love from God when you instead expected to be judged and punished? I've felt it. I felt it again and again and again. Now, in both of these stories, we see illustrations of both our longing for God and God's longing. Good things and good circumstances cannot fill our longing. We can run and search. We can feed all of our appetites, appetites of our bodies and our minds and our hearts. We can race after lovers and wealth and power and freedom and attention And where is that going to leave us? I think of the lyrics of that old U2 song. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, and maybe our wanderings will leave us broken and bruised. Maybe eventually we'll come to our senses. Our longing and emptiness will turn us around and point us toward home. And what will we find Judgment? Punishment? No. God Himself waits for us at the end of the driveway. He waits for us to come home. So that when we do, He runs to meet us. To embrace us. And then He throws a party out of sheer joy for having us home again. seems that God will, will try almost anything to get our attention. He shows fragments of Himself in, in every imaginable way. He yearns for us to know Him. Our God jumps out from behind the couch or He waits for us to listen so that He can tell us another story of His love for His rebellious sons and His unfaithful wives. God's Word teaches us about God's nature. God is not an angry God waiting to punish us for all the wrong that we do. You know, if that were true, good luck. We're all doomed. No, the truth is that there's no end to the things that God will do to move us toward home. God longs to be known by you. He comes quietly, gently, with grace, compassion, forgiveness, and love. Please don't forget, what we believe about the nature of God is key to our faith journey. It has eternal significance. The longing and the yearning that you feel deep in your soul will only be satisfied 
when you come to know the one true God. And if you want to know who God is, read his story, the Bible. Listen to what his son Jesus says about his father. Allow God's word to reframe your relationship with God. Let's pray. God, on behalf of all of us here, I just want to say thanks for not giving up on us. We have done nothing, nothing to deserve the love that you give to us every day. So thank you. Thank you for who you are. Forgive us for choosing so often to believe that you are something else. Forgive us for our selfishness, for the many times that we want to make it about us and our achievement and our perceived goodness. Paul reminded us that we all fall short. All of us. And it is only through faith in what you have done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we can be confident and be assured of who we are and whose we are. You know, no matter where we are this morning, no matter what's in our minds and in our hearts at this very moment, I pray that your Spirit would continue to do a good work in us. Continue to draw us to yourself. Continue to inspire and motivate us to lift our eyes up out of our own lives, our own insecurity, our own mistakes, our own wants and needs and desires. To lift up our eyes out of the darkness and see your light that is always shining. That we might see you once again around us. And hear your invitation to follow you. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.